Thank you. That was an awesome worship, Chai, and thank you for the, for the awesome worship. And uh, Vaughan, what you shared is stunning, absolutely stunning. Yeah. Very good. Uh, the title of the message for, um, the title of my message tonight is, What Happens When You Dig a Hole? Do you like it? <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> so, what happens when you dig a hole? Anybody knows Uncle Abraham from the Bible? He dug a hole and he kept digging at it. So, uh, I've got another story from the Bible where uh, a guy managed to dig a hole and managed to make it a big trench and turn it into a valley, but still God came through for him. We serve a God who can come through. There's not a hole that is big enough to bury you and me because we serve a God who can lift us up out of that, out of that hole. Amen? All right. I just want to lay a foundation before I, I get into the message. Uh, if you have your Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 9 and 10. It's, it's a very interesting scripture. But as it is written, eyes have not seen, nor the ears have heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Okay. The... The important word there is God has prepared. All right? So it's, it's a verb. So it's an active thing and God does it. It's not that it happens. He prepares. He prepares. That original, the original scripture is Isaiah 64.4. That's from where Paul, when he's writing to the, to the church of Corinth, he picks that scripture from Isaiah 64 verse 4. Isaiah 64 verse 4. So if you go to Isaiah 64, verse 4, actually what you find here is Paul is giving the interpretation of what was in Isaiah 64. Okay? Isaiah 64, verse 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have, have not heard, not perceived by ear, nor have I seen any God besides you who acts for who wait for him. So that's the original scripture which Paul interprets and says, actually he's prepared a way. He's turning that word acts on your behalf into saying that he's actually prepared a way for you and me. All right? We'll be looking at, at the story of Esther today. I want to... I want to propose and give you a, a different way of looking at that story. There's a guy called Mordecai who is the uncle, uh, who is, you know, a kind of relative or an uncle of Esther. I just want to give you an understanding of what was actually happening. I've heard wonderful stories about the stories of Esther, but I want to give you what is 
what was happening in that situation, actually happening in that situation. Because sitting here in New Zealand, we would not have an idea of what was happening in, the, in those days. All right? So, Esther had lost her mom and dad, and her dad's cousin adopts her as his own daughter and starts taking care of her. And while he's taking care of her, and she's growing up, things are happening in that nation. Now we have to understand, Mordecai is sinking. Mordecai is part of that generation which had seen the glory of God in Israel. He's part of that generation which had seen the temple. He's part of that generation which had seen the moves of God and how God would move. And then they had been, they had been brought into Babylon. So he's part of that generation who knows about God. But now he's finding himself in a hopeless situation. When he looks around, the Jews are slaves. Of course, now they have more freedom than what was in the past. But they have lost their identity. The word Mordecai means a foreigner. It just means a foreigner. So it was not even a proper name. He had lost his identity so much that he did not even have a proper name anymore. And so he's trying to bring up this young girl and she's turning out to be very, very beautiful. At that time, the king who was Zexerus, who was a king over that nation, he was so rich. It, you know, Esther chapter 1, it says that drinks were served in glasses and, or, or vessels and none of the vessels were similar to each other. So he threw a party for 180 days for all his officials from various parts of the world. He ruled from Ethiopia to India. So we are looking at a few billion people that he was ruling over. There were 127 provinces there. And he was the king or the ruler over that. So he calls them all and gives them a party for 180 days. And when they are gone... He calls his whole town together and he gathers them in his, in his garden and he, and he gives them a party for seven days. So you can imagine the number of people who are coming there and none of the vessels in which the drink was served were similar to each other. All of them were made of gold. So he's a rich guy, very, very rich guy with great reach. And then... While, in his, while he's in his drunken state, he asks his wife to come so that all his officials can have a look at her. What would happen if that was happening to us in this current generation? So we have to try and understand what's happening in that generation to be able to understand what's happening in the story of Esther. So she says, no, I'm not coming. And because he's, she said that, she's removed from the post of being the queen. Now this guy, he has lots of concubines. He's got lots of wives, but the head one or the chief one is called the queen. Now there is a contest 
After this, they decide they want a new queen. So how do they select? How do they select that? They get all the young ones to come and be prepared so that they can present themselves before the king. The preparation goes on for one year. So when a young one comes, she is prepared for one year before she is presented before the king. And if the king is not happy with her, she is added to the list that is already existing. So the young ones who come are taken care of by a particular official. And once she has presented herself to the king, I don't want to put it very crudely, so I'm not using the words. But after she has presented herself, she goes to another officer who is holding on to all those who have presented themselves to the king. Are you getting the picture? So what's Mordecai actually pushing his knees into? It's not a very pretty picture. So he's asking Esther to go and compete to become the queen. He has lost his identity so much that he's trying to live his life through his knees. Anyway, Esther goes and, you know, it's a whole new, a different message of how she conducted herself in such a situation. And so Esther goes and, and starts preparing to be presented before the king. She has heard all these stories about all the young ones, all the women who had been rejected after having been presented to the king. Mordecai is digging a hole. Unfortunately, a lot of times when we dig a hole, other people in our family are affected by it. And we don't even realize that. And that's what Mordecai was doing. And then Esther is, is very well behaved. She's, she's very cultured. So the guy who's supposed to prepare them prepare these young ones who came to, to be presented to the king. He takes special interest in her and gives her special, special treatment, which none of the other ones got. Normally, one of them would be presented to the king within a year's time. With Esther, the preparation went on for three years. She listened to the official who was taking care of her. And did everything as she was told. You know, a lot of times, I'm, I'm preaching to myself tonight. A lot of times, we get impatient. We get impatient when we look around and we look at the situation and the circumstances that we are in. And we wonder, where is God? And I'm sure it, that is what was going through Mordecai's mind as well. But Esther was, was diligent in what she had. She had the skills, but she knew to reach where she had to reach, she had to trust other people. There were others in the, in the, in, around her 
who would be able to lead her and guide her. She took all the advice and finally, when she was presented before the king, she became the queen. What it only means is that she can, she can come back and be with her, her husband. The rest of them were called concubines. After this, Mordecai would go and sit outside the palace. All throughout the season, when Esther was being prepared, Mordecai would go and sit outside the palace. And when his niece became the queen, he put on a little bit of attitude as well. So there was an officer, his name was Haman. He got promoted, and everybody else, you know, in that culture, it would be normal for them to rise up and bow down before him. Mordecai refused to do that. I looked up the, the verse, you know, because I've also read about Chadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refusing to bow down. I looked up, and I found that they refused to bow down before an idol. Because for them, this was, they, they were saying that we are not going to bow down to anybody else other than our God. But with Mordecai, it was not so. He just had an attitude that he would not bow down before an official who had been officially been appointed. That was the culture of that time. This is, this is just general story. So Mordecai has managed to dig a hole and turn it into a valley. Because now, Haman took an offense against him. So he sent his officials to find out more about Mordecai. And they came back and reported to him, saying, he's a Jew. He and his people, they follow a different law and regulation. You know, we are very fortunate in this nation that it does not matter if you tell somebody that you're a Christian. I come from a city where when we would organize meetings and crusades, I would never go home directly. Because you never know what could happen the next day. So it's like my home is in Havelock. I'm from, from Napier, I would travel to Flexmare and then from Flexmare to to, to Clive before I would carefully watch to see if I'm being followed. So that I could reach home safely and my family could be safe. Mordecai took on this attitude and Haman found out that he was a Jew. This is where the story takes a turn. Because Haman did not realize that the moment he took on Mordecai, he was taking on the apple of the eye of the Lord. God was watching Mordecai dig a hole and turn it into a valley. 
but God could still be able to help him. I just want to show you the biblical references to this story. See, we need to understand the importance of the story. The edict was sent out by Haman that all the Jews need to be annihilated or killed. Think for a moment if that had happened. Would you and I be sitting here tonight? Because if there were no Jews left, there would have been no Jesus. If there was no Jesus, there was no resurrection. If there was no resurrection, there was no redemption for you and me. We have to understand that here is where it becomes, you know, the rubber meets the road. I just want to show you the historical background of what was happening here. Now, Haman was an Agite. I don't know whether my pronunciation is right or not, but you can read it yourself. <laughs> so Mordecai is into conflict with a guy who is very, very powerful. I just want to show you who is, who is, who is Haman. If you, go, you know, we know the story of Jacob. Anybody knows the story of Jacob? Anybody? Yep. He had a brother. He was called Esau. Anybody remembers that? All right. So Jacob stole from Esau his birthright. And Esau moved on. And he had a son. His name was Amalek. Okay? It's in Exodus chapter 17 verse 9. Now when the children of Israel were coming out of, out of Egypt, they came to a place where they were attacked by the king of Amalek. And God got quite angry with them for what they had done. And then he had a son called Agag. And one of them escaped, and that's Haman. Can you understand the historical significance of what is happening here? I'll show you the scripture soon so that you can understand what's really happening there. You know, when you and I we don't see the whole picture. When we are in a situation, we look at it and think, you know, when is all this going to change? But God is watching. So if you go to Exodus chapter 17, Verse 9. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose some men and go out to fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. 
So now Jacob has lost stuff. And one of his grandson, one of his great-grandson is trying to retrieve what he has lost. And so what he does is, when the children of Israel come out of Egypt, he attacks them. And God says, I want you to, be, I want you to write the story down. Because he's very aware of what's going to happen later on. So Amalek attacks, and God asks Moses to stand up on the hill. So as long as he's able to hold his hand up, they are winning, and every time the hand of Moses goes down, they lose. Every time his hand is up, they win, and every time it goes down, they lose. And as they are doing this, God is constantly fighting on their behalf. And God says to to Moses, I want you to share this story with Joshua. I want you to constantly share this with Joshua. And when the victory was totally won, he says to Joshua, he, Moses built an altar, that's verse 15, and called its name, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. The numbers 24-7. Now there was a guy called Balaam or Balaam. He was a prophet. But he was a naughty prophet. So for money he started prophesying. But when God intervened, he started prophesying. And he prophesies this. His king will be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. His king will be higher than Agag, and his kingdom will be exalted. So Balaam is starting to prophesy about what's going to happen later. First Samuel chapter 15, verse 8. This is the story where Saul is able to overcome Agag the king. So can you see the historical connections? So here is Jacob's son, are Jacob's brother, who's been, whose, whose birthright has been stolen, there is a constant conflict going on between the two families. It, it is showing the war that goes on between God and his people on one side and the enemy on the other side. And here again, the, God's people win. And again, one of them is able to escape. And he turns up in the palace of the king where Esther is the queen. So that's the background of what's happening there. And suddenly when God turns up, the story suddenly turns. You know, you were watching Joel, um, Brett and his 
his daughter on the ski. Who do you think uh, on that on that little, you know, whatever it is called? Yeah, who? Nooch, Nooch. Okay. What do you think Cherise was thinking? She's thinking, I'm driving it. I'm the one who is taking it where it's supposed to go. Would you agree? But there is Brett sitting behind her, making sure that it does not crash all the time. All the time he's watching so that it does not go and crash. Sorry, I've got a new Bible, so it's difficult to find this. <laughs> to open to the right page. So here's, here's what's happening there. Suddenly, God's plan is starting to kick in. Though Mordecai has managed to dig a massive hole, God intervenes. You and I may be in a situation where we do not, when we look at it, it's like, when is this going to end? How will it change? What are the factors that will change? But God came through for Mordecai. And he came through in a supernatural way. I have put myself and my family into, into perils many times. I thought I was going to do God a favor by doing what I was doing. And then we found ourselves in situations which were, which were quite dangerous. But God has always come through and he has taken us out of that hole. In the story of Esther, what we find is suddenly God comes through. And he is able to lift Mordecai to the next level. God is able to intervene and make things change different for Mordecai and the Jews. You know what it did for us? It enabled us for you and me to get saved. Because we can get saved only through Jesus Christ. You might be sitting here and thinking... I am I'm in a situation where I do not know what to do. Do you think Mordecai knew any, what to do with this situation? No. So that's when he turned around and said, let's fast and pray. You will not find him fasting and praying when he actually put Esther into that position. You do not find him praying and thinking when he would not submit to the authority that God had created. But as soon as he found, as soon as he found that he was in a situation where he did not have a solution, he turned around and said to Esther, Esther, don't think you are going to escape. So please fast and pray. We are going to fast and pray as well. You know, as you sit here tonight, I want to ask you this question. What's the hole that you have dug around yourself? Which, what's the situation that you have created around yourself 
that you think is insurmountable, that you cannot overcome. I can tell you one thing, that the God of Mordecai, the God of Esther, is ready to work on your behalf and my behalf. You know, he's ready to reach out and lift you up. Now, you know what, what happened to Mordecai? Mordecai became the prime minister of that nation. He became the second most powerful person in that nation. But he could not have done that without God's hand on it. I can tell you tonight, no matter what your situation is, it is not, it is not beyond God's reach. It's not beyond God's reach. I have been in situations where it looked like there is no escape. There is no escape. And the only way I could get out of it is when God came through. We have a God on whose wisdom you and I can trust. I don't know what your situation is. It may be in the broken relationship that you are in. It may, be, it may be that you are in a financial mess. It may be you are thinking that you are all alone and God cannot bring somebody across your path who, may, who can partner with you. I remember as a young man, I grew up in a family which was very, very strict. And the disappointments of my life were so big that I started thinking there is no hope for me. I was constantly told by, my, by, by family, friends, and everybody that I'll be a failure in life. I remember very clearly going out into the paddocks and lying down and looking at the sun and the star. I did not know the Lord then. I would look up and think, would anybody care about me? Would anybody care about me? What will I do? What will I do when I finish my studies? There is no hope. When I went to school, when I went to school and when I passed the year, year 10 examination, there were half a million other kids who went through the exam with me. You can understand the kind of competition that we were facing. And this is, we, were, we are only one, one of the 24 provinces in India. And half a million kids went to year 10 exam with me. Quarter of a million stat, said year 12 exam with me. And I was competing to get into one of the colleges or universities there. There were only 16,000 seats. Quarter of a million students had come out of come out of school. God has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. I don't think anybody sitting here has dug a hole deep enough like Mordecai. And if you have, he will do exactly what he did for Mordecai. He will do exactly for you what he did for Mordecai. 
You know, I'm just about to finish now. We'll get the worship team up now. I would like you to reflect. What's the hole in your life? Where do you find yourself? What's the situation that you're finding yourself, which is too difficult, which is beyond your understanding, and you think you don't have a solution? Just think, what is the situation that you think is beyond your understanding or your capacity to overcome? Let's all rise to our feet and Let's close our eyes and focus on God. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. We ask that you would speak to us tonight. You will speak to us tonight, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You will speak to us tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You would speak to us tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Rakasha Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. We serve an overcoming God. We serve a God who is interested in our needs. We serve a God who is able to intervene and help us in our situation. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are. Because He can come and He can touch your life in a way that you have never been you have never felt before.